The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Let us all pray. Lord our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that there is no one like Thee, none beside Thee. We resolve by Thy aid not to acknowledge any other God so-called. And thank Thee for Thine amazing love, O Father, commended to us in the sufferings of Thy Son, implanted in our hearts by thine own spirit. And we give thee thanks that we confess our sin. We confess our faith in thy Son and are enabled also to confess thy grace. Thou hast humbled us, assured us of thy love and undertaken to keep as well as make us thine own. Give us then joy and peace in believing and produce that humble awe and that pursuit of godly obedience, which is more than thy due, seeing as thou didst not spare thine own son, but deliver him up for us all. Grant us then all that we need in order to live solely to his praise Grant thy blessing to each and all of us and to this seminary. For Jesus' sake, amen. Be seated, please. We read verses 7, 8, and 9 of Isaiah chapter 53 this morning. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7, 8, and 9. Let us hear the word of God. He was oppressed, and he kept on submitting to being afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation... Who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And one made his grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. This last but one stanza of this song or poem folds back uh, on the, uh, the second stanza, the one with which this chapter opens. And taken together, they provide a remarkable biography of the earthly, li- earthly life of the servant of the Lord, a prophetic summary of his life from birth to burial, 
And like every biography, attention is given to character and to circumstance, character or event. And as we know from other biographies, sometimes events or circumstances generate such pressure on characters that they disintegrate and collapse. On other occasions, strong characters survive and an indication of their worthwhileness as a subject for a biography is indicated. Here is the greatest crisis of all that could befall any individual. Nothing can be compared with this. Forsaken by men, forsaken by God, left alone, bearing not only intolerable pain and shame, but being aware that there was no human support and no divine support from his heavenly Father in order to enable him to persevere to the end, which he did. Here is the servant of the Lord. In these particular verses, more detail than in the earlier stanza to which we've referred, more detail about those harrowing circumstances and intense challenges and demands that were made upon him are given to us, and he shines all the more clearly as being indeed worthy to be the Lord's servant. Now in these verses we have some terms taken from the military world and some terms taken from the legal world that indicates that conflict and court both featured in the final uh, incidents and events of his earthly life. And we read that he was put to death. That was how he died. The earlier uh, terms that are used uh, by way of uh, description of sickness and wounds and so on, they're all metaphors. He didn't die of disease. He was executed. And here we are called upon to see something of that death, which remarkably Isaiah uses the plural noun for. There in verse 9, he was with a rich man in his deaths. Not death, not that he died more than once, but everything that was included and comprehended in that accursed death that was the equivalent of the horror of sin, he underwent euphemistically, but realistically. The writer to the Hebrew says he tasted death. Not that he sipped it, but he drank that cup to the very dregs. Here then, misusing, misapplying uh, a title of John Owen's Here is the death of deaths. There's something in this that transcends every other single death that has ever taken place. Now these verses contain a question. Uttered by God, because he speaks about my people, and the prophet, Isaiah. The question is this, who considered And among his generation, who considered? 
who noticed anything worth giving attention to. Of course, Isaiah is addressing his contemporaries, but also, predictively, addressing his descendants, uh, those of whom we read in the gospel records, and by necessary implication addressing all those to whom these records, these accounts come. Who considered? Have you considered? Have you bent your mind to focus on this particular subject as if there were no other matter in the world worthy of your attention? Nothing is comparable to this. Have you considered it? Well, what should be considered? Two things. And both of them are connected by Isaiah with the word mouth. You notice that as you read these verses. Mouth is referred to more than once. Three times in all. And yet even though mouth is referred to as being of significance, connected on the one hand with his trial and death, and on the other hand, connected with his burial, surprisingly, no words are recorded. The mouth is the organ of speech. We are called upon to give attention to the mouth of the servant of the Lord. And yet not a word of his is recorded for our attention. We're told that he didn't open his mouth twice. And we are told that there was no deceit in his mouth. Now, of course, by implication, these say something positive, don't they? But the very fact that they're in the negative underlines their significance. Think, first of all, he did not open his mouth with regard to his trial and his death. We are told that he was oppressed. We are told that he was afflicted. We are told that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before its shearers. We are told that he was oppressed and judged. He was confined. There was a trial. It was a kangaroo court. It was rushed through. It was all in a night. And not once, not once, did he open his mouth in his own defense? Not one word of protest did he utter against the injustice and iniquity of it all. The gospel records tell us that. Pilate was surprised that he had nothing to say in his own defense. Don't you hear what the Jews are saying about you? And you remember that it was Caiaphas Wiley, Fox, Caiaphas, who hit on a way of forcing him to incriminate himself by placing him under oath in the name of the living God as to whether he was the Messiah, the Son of God, or no. And Jesus turns it all on back on him and says, it is as you have said. Here was one who wasn't concerned about himself time and time again throughout his life. He'd turned back their charges. He'd exposed the, the folly of their 
questions and the traps and the snares that they laid for him, intending to catch him in their speech, in his speech. And he turned it all back on their head, and he could well have done during his trial, but he chose not to do so. He chose to be silent. He chose to say nothing in his own defense because he knew he was standing before a higher court. It wasn't just the court of men. In the court of men, he could not have been found guilty of any. Which of you convinces me of sin? But there he was being tried and condemned for you and me. And before his heavenly father, who laid the blow that should have fallen on us, on his shoulders, he had no protest, no attempt to evade what he knew was his father's will and what he knew was his will too. His silence, he didn't open his mouth, is an indication of the fact that he was submitting willingly. Here's the Lord's servant submitting willingly, not merely uh, to this earthly court, but to a heavenly one before the judge of all the earth. He, he, you see, was a different kind of sheep from those referred to in verse 6, which we have confessed ourselves to be. All we like sheep have gone astray, turned everyone to his own way. But here was one who didn't turn to his own way, who pleased not himself, whose supreme concern was to do the will of God, to be the Lord's servant, fully and utterly. Isn't it incongruous? It would be impossible to explain. It would be the greatest moral obscenity were it not for the fact that he was taking the place of others. Substitution is the only just explanation of the fact that he who knew no sin was made sin. So that his Silence in trial and no protest when he was being crucified is an indication that he personally did not deserve to die as he was dying, but he was dying for others. And most of his generation didn't consider it. And most since do not do so either. But there were two who did. And there was one within arm's length of him. This man has done nothing amiss. And then there was another who, when, they, when he saw him die, said, truly, this was the Son of God. The arm of the Lord was revealed there at Calvary. 
And there were two who considered, and later on there was another who considered, you remember, because it was these verses that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading and was all perplexed about. And there is a conundrum here. There is a perplexity here. And the only explanation, the only explanation is this, that he was stricken for the transgression of my people. You take that away. And you're left with this horrible injustice, the worst of all, that one so good and true and kind should be dealt with in the way that he was, not merely by men, but also by God. Consider it. And consider also the fact that there was no deceit in his mouth, and that was witnessed by his burial. He did he did deserve to be buried as he actually was, given who he was and what he'd done. The plan was that he should be tumbled into a common grave. He was crucified as a blasphemer. No Jew would touch him. He was guilty of sedition. Pilate had the charge of his body, and you know what happened the two who had been considering, considering who he was and why he'd come and hadn't given really any intimation to others, it would seem that that is what they were doing. Joseph, Nicodemus, two of the Sanhedrin. Did they come together? and make a plan or act individually. We'll know one day. We won't know till then, but here they come. And what are they coming to do? Here in their estimate is not merely a Jew who deserves to be buried with his fathers. Here is the one who, though he was rich, became poor. For you and for me, who had nowhere to lay his head, and a rich man's tomb. No one had been laid there before, in a garden, on the Sabbath. There he was, rest, his work done. He was with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Love to God and love to neighbor were fulfilled in him. Truth and kindness were summed up in his life. Consider it. He is the one who died for you. No one else could do it. A wonder of wonders he did. And so that's what we have to consider. The chapter begins with this question. Who has believed our report? Who has considered there's God's word about him. Here are the events about him. There's his character. And it all comes together. He is the Lord's servant. Behold him. Believe in him. Confess him. And serve him. A savior and Lord. And eternal life is ours. Amen. Let us pray. We give thee our thanks, O Lord that we have thy word concerning thy Son, and grace to receive and believe it from thy Holy Spirit. We marvel that thou shouldst send him for us.
we give thee thanks. We take him to ourselves yet again and thank thee that he takes us to himself. Just as he did on the cross, tasting death for each of his brethren, so now taking us again to himself. By his spirit, through his word, but knowing him, we may know that thou art our God and our heavenly Father, no less truly than thou wert his. So we give thee thanks. Help us to live as thy children and servants. For Jesus' sake, amen. Copyright 2010, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.